This is the Theology Matters podcast. I'm here today with Elise Edwards, who is a professor of theology at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, and proud to say a CTI member. Welcome to the podcast, Elise. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, you were in our program this past year on religion and the built environment. So I want to talk today about uh, about your your work. You're both an architect and a theologian. Maybe talk a bit about how you how you uh, and your background brought those together. Sure. Uh, well, I started with architecture first. So when I went to college, I studied architecture, got my master's in architecture, uh, and then started working at an architecture firm in Washington, D.C. Um, while I was working full time, uh, I felt a call to go to seminary. And when uh, and so I was going to seminary part time. And the first semester that I started, I took an intro to theological studies and felt like I had finally found the method I was looking for. Uh, in architecture, um, I'd been exploring questions about gender, about justice and design, um, really asking questions about how we want to live and how architecture relates to that. And when I started theological study, I realized these are, this is the methodology, the, the area that I want to ask these questions from. So when I finished my seminary degree, my MTS, I then uh, went on to uh, a PhD program with the encouragement of my seminary professors uh, and, and my family and made the shift then to academia full time. Was it a, an easy shift or was it sort of a, a big transition? I, both. I mean, in, in some ways, it was the next step in what I was doing. Architecture is a hard field to stay in for a long time. Uh, when I was in it, uh, we were in the Great Recession, and that was a time of downturn. So I experienced three layoffs at the firm I was working with, and um, and things were beginning to come back around the time that I left full-time work, but there was a sense in which I started to feel that the day-to-day -day work of architecture, which is very detail-oriented, wasn't exactly a, the best fit for me. So I liked talking about the big ideas behind design. I loved working with the process and seeing the, a project all the way through, but um, it, in some ways, the day-to-day -day work of it wasn't the best fit for me, and I felt that I could better pursue my um, commitments to architecture in an academic way. Uh, and now uh, at this point in my career, I'm making my way back to a more practical uh, stance and, and, and working with groups to, um, to serve as that bridge um, between the architectural world and the church world or the theological world or the academic world. But um, so, so that was, it, that was sort of the easy part of it. The hard part was, of course, uprooting my whole life and uh, giving up the income I had and, and going back to school and uh, all of those things. Um, but I, I had a lot of support for that. I'm excited to see that you have a new book uh, forthcoming called Building Justice, Theological Commitments in Architectural Design. Uh, maybe talk a bit about that book and what, what you do in it. Sure. So this book... Uh, comes out of my dissertation, but is is pretty different from it in some some ways. Um, when I was working in uh, on my dissertation, the question that I'd been asking for years uh, was really, how do we 
um, think about architecture theologically, uh, and not just theologically, but theologically and ethically. So uh, Karsten Harris, uh, who's a philosopher, wrote this book um, many years ago called The Ethical Function of Architecture. And I read that in uh, in, in graduate school when I was uh, studying uh, for my Master of Architecture degree. And it influenced me ever since. I, I was thinking about the ethical function of architecture. That is how architecture relates to our, um, our common life, how it uh, represents the ethos of, of our communities. And in my dissertation, I really began to explore questions linking that idea of a common ethos to moral agency. So how is it that everyday people or designers, um, anybody, how is it that we make architecture say something? Or how, do, how can architecture say something if, if architecture is inanimate, right? So it, it always needs an interpreter or a designer or uh, someone to live in it to, to really exercise that agency related to, to the built environment. Um, so that's what the dissertation explored. The, this book takes one section of that, which is the idea of design, uh, I think, which is the most accessible piece uh, and, and translates that into a full book. So what does it mean to design architecture with ethical and theological commitments in mind? Namely, how do we think theologically about justice and how that relates to architecture? So the book really lays out five different moral commitments. Uh, earlier, I was calling these virtues, but, but I, I'm not sure they function as virtues. So uh, I call them moral commitments. You might call them principles. Um, but these five cent central organizing ideas around which we commit to following and being and doing during any design process. And those are creativity, empathy, discernment, beauty, and sustainability. Say a bit about, so who who are those for? Just for architects or for other people who are involved in that process to be well, thinking Well, I hope about? architects would find it useful. Um, I hope architects would find that useful, but um, it's not just for architects. So one of the questions or one of the concerns that I've had for quite, a quite some time, again, this going back to my early um, uh, uh, academic work in architecture is the concern about the, uh, the racial demographics of the architectural profession and, and questions about justice there uh, and, and the gendered components of that too, although there's a lot of improvement in that, especially over the past few decades. Um, but when we look at who architects are, um, it's changing, but it, who gets licensed as an architect is uh, predominantly white men. And if we're talking about justice in the 21st century in a way that reflects concerns of different diverse publics, of, um, of what in, in feminist work we would call intersectionality, uh, we have to have designers and people in the design process who are representing different backgrounds and different points of view that come to a building um, or, or a, a renovation project. Um, many people are involved in design in ways that they don't acknowledge as being design. So I'm, I'm sitting in my office right now. Uh, we're in a new building 
um, that was, or, or a renovated building, um, my department is. And every single person who has an office in this building um, earlier this year had to set up their offices, right? If you, if you walk down the hall and, and peek in the windows, you'll see that there are all different kinds of arrangements. Uh, we only had a few choices to make, you know, whether or not there would be um, a shelf on the wall. Um, but within that limited structure, the decisions people made about the type of seating they have, the type of arrangement they want for their workspace, uh, what other kinds of amenities they want in their office. Um, many of those with a design to, um, for, for one of my colleagues to really make his students comfortable. Um, for some of us, it's to make um, our scholarly work, our writing more, um, more easeful, right? Uh, to make it easier and, and more comfortable to do that. But those are the kinds of um, design decisions that people make without even acknowledging that they are related to design. So many of us, you know, organize our own homes or design our own homes, uh, work on gardens and, and landscapes. Um, we uh, set up things for our offices, for parties, for events. Um, and, and we don't think about how those might be designed, but they are. So, so the book is for all of us who might um, be engaged in any architectural project, any building project, whether it's as small as, you know, painting the walls in your home to uh, something as large as a the construction of a new building, um, like, like my church is considering right now, right? Uh, anything along that whole range uh, is, is, is what I'm included in, in design. And, and this book is written for people who are participants in that. I had the chance to read an article you published a couple, just last year in the Journal for the Society of Christian Ethics. And the title of the article is A Womanist Consideration of Architecture and the Common Good. Um, and just along the lines of what you were just saying, I wanted to highlight, you talk about inclusive design processes for the common good. And maybe I'll read this uh, bullet point you have here because I found it very interesting. You say liberatory values should be implemented through design processes that highlight the experiential wisdom of building residents, occupants, and users, not just architects, owners, and financial stakeholders, seeking particular, not universal, design solutions that build from localized knowledge requires soliciting input from people who are not typically consulted in design that is, renters, maintenance workers, custodial staff, neighbors and residents or building occupants in institutional positions of lower power or authority. Maybe you can speak to that because I found that quite interesting. Yeah, and, and, and what I'm saying isn't exactly novel, right? This has been a part of um, architectural discourse for some time. I'm, I'm bringing it into the, the theological realm. Mm -hmm. um, but this is the idea that um, what in, in design, we, we sometimes uh, would call user-centered design, which is looking at the people who are actually using a building to understand what knowledge they have of the building. When you're putting a lot of money and, and energy behind um, building projects, I think it's really important to make sure that the building works, uh, that, that it does what it's supposed to do. And quite honestly, you can't just get that knowledge from the outside looking in or from the top looking down. 
in an organization. You have to talk to all of the people who are using the building, or at least representatives of the different groups that are uh, occupying a building, and understand what they are um, concerned about, the issues they're facing on a day-to-day -day basis, and how to make a building really fit for their lives. Um, that's what I'm talking about with, with building justice, the idea that um, we, we don't limit our um, idea of who matters in a project to those with the wealth or institutional power, um, but rather we, we try to very intentionally bring in the perspectives of those who might be on the margins of something like a design process um, so that we, we can learn from, from them and, and make the design all the more better for it. And that comes in clear ways out of the tradition of womanism that you're working in. And maybe you could say a bit about that for, for folks who, who aren't as, uh, don't know the terminology and so on. Sure. So womanist thought really centers on the experiences of Black women uh, and, and starts from the position of experience of uh, Black women. But it addresses the holistic liberation of communities from multiple identities. So it's not just an analysis of race or gender, but race and gender as overlapping identities and brings in the class analysis as well. And then also concerns about heterosexism and, um, and, and all sorts of other concerns that now um, most of us in, in religious studies and theology are aware of. Um, but womanist thought uh, very early on was, um, was clear on the fact that uh, you can't separate out race and gender and class, that you have to look at all of these together. And, and so I, I think that's a part of, of my, my work. It's not just looking at things from the perspective of racial just, justice or gender justice. Uh, it can be helpful sometimes to, to clarify things, but in real life experience, it's never uh, separate. You know, as a, as a black woman, I don't walk into a classroom as only a woman one day and only a black person on another. It's always both of those uh, combined uh, at the same time in, in my experience and in other people's reception of who I am. After your, maybe just as a last question, after your next book comes out and uh, it's out into the public domain, what are you gonna be working on as your next project? So I'm, I'm thinking about uh, a study of how, uh, again, going back to these questions of agency, I mentioned design is sort of the easy uh, or the accessible way into that door about questions of moral agency. And, and moral agency is really about um, who has power and, and who has the power to act and what is the, the nature of the capacity of that power. Um, and so the next project, I think I, I want to look at the experience of those who are actually in communities uh, dwelling in communities and, and working on their built environments. So uh, this might be a study of Black churches who are involved in addressing racism in their communities and what that looks like in the built environment. Um, but, uh, or there's a, a, another project I'm thinking of, um, which would expand on the womanist consideration of architecture and the common good and would really talk about what a womanist interpretation of architecture is. So moving from this question of design 
uh, which I know I'll come back to again in my career, <laughs> but from design to interpreting the built environment and dwelling within the built, built environment and uh, answering some questions or clarifying about what it means to be a moral agent who does those things. I look forward to reading that. I know many, many others will uh, as well, at least. So thanks uh, so much for being on the podcast and for being part of CTI's uh, inquiry this past year on the built environment. Well, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful experience working with CTI, and I know we'll do great things in the future as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Elise. Thank you.